The Australian Football Video Film Festival podcast is proudly brought to you by LeagueTees.com.au, the retro footy fan gear that makes every week retro round. The League Tees footy shop is packed with footy tees, retro footy jumpers, hoodies, and all things retro footy. That's LeagueTees.com.au. Name the game series from Australian football video. Have you ever bought or rented a videotape that wasn't quite right? Folks, let me warn you. It's bruising, bloody, and very much in your face. And we've pulled out stuff that would make a 16-stone wharfie cry. But a hundred minutes of top footy action. Welcome to the 90s, the decade that delivered. It was a 10-year period in football unlike any other this century. The electrifying 80s, the highs and lows of a dynamic decade of football. Over the next two hours, relive some of the most exciting moments in VFL football in the sensational seven. The Peter Hudson story, Dublin's Jim, the story of Jimmy Steins, the road to victory, Collingwood's struggle to the premiership and the year of the rising saints, St Kilda's fight to the 1991 finals. than hell, Melbourne in 1998. It was the most meteoric rise in football history, 12 steps up the ladder from wooden spooners to genuine premiership prospects. Melbourne in 1998 was hot, the hottest property around August and September. Under rookie coach Neil Danaher and first-year skipper Todd Viney, they made their assault on an unsuspecting competition. The youngsters, led by Adam Uze, Shane Wowoden, Guy Rigoni and Andrew Leoncelli, joined by highly prized recruits Jeff White and Jamie Sanahan to restore the Demon's pride. Who will forget the exquisite skills of the whiz Jeff Farmer or the game's most value forward line of Lion Schwartz and Neats? It was a season in which Melbourne would farewell its Irishman Jimmy Steins and make an all-out assault on the finals for the first time in five years. The Demons, it's all here in Hotter Than Hell, the 1998 season in review. My guest for this episode is Adam, the curator of Demon Blog. It's a grand old flag, it's a high-flying flag, it's the emblem for me and for you. It's the emblem of the team we love, the team of the red and the Well, there is no better person to review Hotter Than Hell Melbourne in 1998 than Adam, and he runs Demon Blog, and he's effectively written a transcript of what this show is on his blog about the 1998 feature-length, full feature-length film, I should say, Hotter Than Hell, and he joins us as part of the Australian Football Video Film Festival. Uh, Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dylan. I am honoured to have been selected to take on what I believe is the Australian football video's equivalent of Citizen Kane. 
the greatest movie of all time, but also something that's probably too long for the general public uh, and drives off people uh, who are neutrals at a rapid rate. Explain the feature length of Hotter Than Hell, Melbourne in 1998, because a lot of the films we talk about on this show tend to go for maybe an hour, an hour and a half, maybe two hours if they're, say, covering an entire decade, like what we call the Holy Trinity, the sensational 70s, electrifying 80s and 90s a decade delivered. What is the feature length of Hotter Than Hell, Melbourne in 1998? Two and a half hours. Uh, why, you'll soon find out. But let's just compare that to Collingwood's Road to Victory in 1990, uh, which I think as a, as a neutral is probably one of the other great Australian football video productions. That's only 90 minutes for a premiership drought-destroying victory hosted by Eddie Maguire, including a brief history run-up of uh, Collingwood's woes between their premierships, only runs to 90 minutes, whereas this... Melbourne, spoiler alert, loses the preliminary final, runs to two and a half hours. So I never thought there was anything wrong with that. Obviously, having watched this video probably about 32 times uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s, until you pointed out to me that it did seem like an extraordinarily long time. And then I thought about it, but yeah, it is an extraordinarily long video, but I guess at the same time, they're, they're going for a particular market. So if you're that market, if you're those fans, you think you beauty... This is great value. Uh, I'm not sure if the person who wrote the checks for videos at Australian Football Video would have appreciated them slipping over the two-hour video mark, uh, having to get a two-and-a-half-hour video instead. But it worked out well for Melbourne fans, and uh, this has become one of the iconic video videos uh, of our time, and I can't believe it's never been re-released on v uh, DVD. Tell us the story of Melbourne in 1998 and where they came from in what transpired to make this two-and-a-half-hour feature-length presentation of their 1998 preliminary final reaching season? Well, as everyone would be aware, Melbourne has won practically bugger all since 1964. Uh, three, I think, night premierships uh, and a couple of reserves flags and under-19s flags. Uh, and the AFLX, let's not forget that, is the entire uh, catalogue of our trophy cabinet since then. But where we're coming from in 1998 is that you've got... Early 90s were a reasonable time for us. We made the finals in 91 and 94. We weren't disgraced in 92 or 93. Uh, 95, we should have made the finals, but uh, lost in the last game of the season to the Brisbane Bears on the night where Sean Smith took that memorable mark. Uh, so for Melbourne fans of my vintage, every time we see that mark, we more think, why did we lose and miss the finals rather than what a great mark that was? Uh, and then it all started going very much downhill. Uh, 96, the merger season. Uh, you can argue the merits of the legalities of the vote of Melbourne fans that voted ourselves out of existence, and we were fortunately saved from that by Hawthorne fans. Uh, and then 1997, we finished last. We won four games for the season. One of those was in the last game of the season, sacked a coach uh, midway through the year, and just generally looked like we probably should have merged with Upper Kambunga West rather than Hawthorne. Uh, so that's why coming into 98, going with a new coach, there wasn't great expectations uh, on what was going to happen, which is why I think it was such a surprise. And you, you get that coming from the, the Stephen Phillips voiceover on this video, who was a Melbourne fan. In 1998, Melbourne faced one of the most challenging seasons in its proud and august history. From the ignominy of the wooden spoon in 1997 
and the scars of the merger talks that had divided the club so bitterly, this would be a year unlike any other. Let's go on a whistle-stop tour beginning in September 97, as that dismal season was pushed into the background. Of the complete shock of where it came from, from winning four games in 1997 to winning four of the first five games and five of the first six games in 1998. So there's, it was a big surprise, and I can see why people would really have been keen to get the video out of this after the season and relive it based on the fact that uh, yeah, we, didn't win the, we didn't win the flag, but we gave a really good account of ourselves uh, before missing the finals again the next year in classic Melbourne fashion. What I do love about the beginning of Hotter Than Hell, uh, Melbourne in 1998, is it really does paint a picture of the history of Melbourne. In fact, if anything, it's sort of got like a little short film opener explaining Melbourne's history. Yeah, it's very, it's almost like they made it to put on the Melbourne's merged and gone out of business video at the end of 1996. And then when they didn't have to use that, they thought, let's put it on this video instead. Percy Beams, I played 213 games for Melbourne. I played 166 games for Melbourne. Noel McMahon, I played 175 games for the Melbourne Football Club between. Ian Ridley, I played 130 games for the Melbourne Football Club. Bob Johnson, I played 159 games for Melbourne Football Club between the years. Ron Barassi, I played 204 senior games and kicked 295 goals. Frank Adams, I played 164 games and kicked 180 goals for the Melbourne Football Club. And not not waste our time in the the making of it. And it's a very like mortal and female voice singing the theme song and I so grand old flag it's a high flying flag it's the emblem for me and for you it's the emblem of the team we love the team of the red I think it's supposed to be august and historic, but it just makes you want to jump in the sea. It's very, um, it's very depressing. And you've got in the background, you've got players, you know, I'm Ron Barassi, I played this many games, and I'm Noel McMahon, I played this many games. And you, you sort of watch it back now and you think, what's that got to do with 1998? Uh, and I, I can see what they were going for. They were going for the historical feature to try and set the context of the club. Uh, but at the same time, if you do look at this with a critical view and think, where could we have chopped this back to potentially two hours? I think this is probably where you'd start. The version of the theme song that gets played, you talk about it feeling, you know, makes you want to jump off a lake or something like that. I think the best way to describe it is kind of like the Melbourne theme song, Sad Credits version. So, you know, yeah. like when, when a character on Neighbours dies and they sort of have that one note version of the Neighbours theme, they play in the credits. That's the kind of version they'd play to Mel. Uh, that's the sad version of the Melbourne theme song. Yeah, and it, like I said, it doesn't make any sense in the context of a season where we erupted from the bottom straight to the top of the ladder, effectively. It, it just seems like they just sort of had it in the bank and thought, oh, we might as well use this. We don't want to waste it. It's almost like what you'd play if you were a big Melbourne fan and you died and you said, I want to play a version of the theme song at my funeral. It's this that they would play. You probably wouldn't have... James McDonald talking over the top of it like this one does. But potentially, if I drop dead, this can be my my living will on, on air. 
I would like this version of it played at my theme song because I don't at my funeral because I don't think there's any better version of the song uh, for a funeral than this one. video does drag on we we have established that but says we do you. <laughs> says me <laughs> I, I, I find it i found it to, to be a, an excellent use of my time the 93 times i watched this video during my <laughs> late teenage years but we do establish the central characters of melbourne's 1998 season very early on uh first of all we we, we meet the new coach neil danaher uh, we get uh, a bit of Joe Goodnick, the president of the uh, Melbourne Football at the co- football Club at the time, of course, Diamond Joe Goodnick. Um, Todd Viney, he's the captain. He, th- he features throughout with his takes on the games. And uh, we also get a bit of inspirational chat from uh, the one and only Gary Lyon. Yeah, well, Gary, Gary does a bit of a speech at a rising star function, which I suspect they moved from the back of the season to the front of the season here for narrative purposes, as they're talking about him handing over the captaincy to Todd Viney. Uh, and, and he tells the assembled youngsters that the very first reason that you play the game is probably, get, probably to get a drink card at the Tunnel Nightclub. Ambitions are reasonably modest early. All you want to do is play a game so you can go and get a, a drink card at the Tunnel. If you're... Perhaps your initial motivation. And then after a period of time, you want to be an established player. So I think that's the kind of... Gary's moved on from those kind of things in his commentary. But when you look at a, an Eddie Maguire game that he commentates, he still loves to drop in mentions of that. Dermot Brereton still loves to drop in mentions of nightclubs and drink cards. Uh, but I think Gary has moved on since then. Yeah, there is a lot of uh, references to the drink cards and the nightclubs. In fact, uh, in a previous episode of the Australian Football Video Film Festival coming up this series, we, we talk about uh, a Friday night in 1999, North Melbourne's had a big win, where are we going, and just the absolute scene. So you can just picture the Gary Lyons and Wayne Carey's of the world at the time at this Tunnel Nightclub, which um, we've also established was also a place where Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews sold hot dogs outside of in a previous life. Magnificent. Well, I think it's actually at the back of my work, to be honest, under a rebranded name. So I might have to get down there and see if I can uh, pick up some loose DNA from a, an 80s, 90s footballer that might be hanging around on a door handle or something. A bit, bit of contact tracing. Yeah, it's in honour of uh, the Premier and his hot dog vendoring. <laughs> I think we've all wanted to go back and trace the person who sold us some dubious food after a night out several <laughs> hours later. Uh. Neil Danaher comes to the club and there's a lot of bright, optimistic future like any new coach heading to uh, Melbourne. And uh, I think both Todd well, Mining I, I and Joe f- Goodnick speak very uh, fondly of him. Yeah, and Joe says, uh, I ha- he, he says he's the, the right man for the job. He impressed immediately. And Joe says the immortal line, I hope I say that again in a few years' time. Everything about him is the right person for the job. I hope I'll say that in a few years' time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, of course, Neil Danaher remained in the job until mid-2007, uh, by which time Diamond Joe had been shuffled off several years earlier. So he didn't really get the chance to give his views uh, on the on the full Danaher regime. And unfortunately, we haven't really heard from Joe um, on the prospects of Melbourne since he was deposed as the president. So 
we never got that uh, final verdict by the the famous businessman on the Danaher years and whether he did make the right selection as coach. But the new captain in Todd Viney also spoke about the very hard pre-season that Melbourne did. Andrew Danaher came, came on board and took us all to school uh, for four, five weeks of intense uh, schoolwork on how he saw the game of footy being played and uh, team rules, etc. And at the time we thought it might have been a little bit too much, but uh, in the end of the day, looking back, we can probably say that I think that grounding was why we got away to such a good start. And I think one thing with Todd Viney being the captain, can you imagine the scenes now if a team had a, a captain over 30 retire and hand the job over to a younger man and it was someone else who's also over 30? <laughs> I think that's one thing where you watch this now with the modern eye and say there'd be riots if that happened. Um, people would want to want to move on to the next uh, to the next generation of leader. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't really have a next generation of leader at this point. So uh, Todd did the job and did the job excellently for a couple of years until David Neitz uh, was ready to go. But yeah, he talks about how they actually went back to school, what they call it, football school, and Neil Danaher gave them a school-esque introduction to his football philosophies. Uh, And I tend to wonder if that's why the the family day that year was at Xavier College, uh, where I remember meeting Jim Steins while dressed in one of the worst outfits of all time, which you can see on my Hotter Than Hell post on demonblog.com. There's a lot of time to get everything that Melbourne did that season because we get ANSAT Cup highlights. And it starts off with Melbourne playing... Uh, an ANSET Cup game in New Zealand, of all places, in Wellington. And the Swans are in very weird pre-season jumpers that I do not recall Sydney wearing. That's outrageous. That jumper is just... When I reviewed this with a critical eye to see other things other than Melbourne, I did notice that that jumper was a disgrace. That was almost as bad as the, the Hawthorne infamous jumper. Well, it was, it was kind of looked like the normal Sydney jumper, but it sort of had like red and white panels with it. Like there was just a lot happening. Yeah, it just had lines, mystery lines. Mystery lines. And the other thing too, um, if we're going to get a real eagle eye on the jumpers, is that Melbourne's still the Tui's Blue Demons in the preseason. Yes, and, and we still, yeah, Russell Robertson wasn't even wearing the number that he would wear in the, the rest of the season. He was still wearing number 42, which we obviously just switched around to 24. But yeah, well, obviously LG, life's good, lucky gold star. They hadn't been roped in to sponsor us yet and uh, become one of the iconic Melbourne sponsors. I've still got multiple LG products in my house to this day, thanks to them. Well, there you go. Special plug to LG Electronics. Uh, and you're also, this is if we're, if we're talking football fashion, um, one of the things I learned apparently that Melbourne, one of the last clubs to stick with the acrylic wool jumper, thanks to Canterbury. Yes, well, that's the kind of tradition and historic nature that leads us to putting uh, mortal and historical packages at the start of our end-of-season videos. But, like, we get 10 minutes in to the video. It's not even round one. Like, we're still talking about the Ansett Cup because you play you, you play the Bulldogs. You beat the Bulldogs at Waverley and then uh, you bow out to the Saints. But you get, like, another central character of Melbourne in 1998, plenty of Jeff Farmer highlights. Yeah, and the, the right from the start, there's obviously the, the wizard right through it. I think he Perry peaked in 2000, had a bit of a down year in 99, but this is when he really started to to go through the roof. Now, you're right about what we, the time we're spending on this video. Again, to me, this just seemed like normal. This this seemed like the best thing of all time when I was watching it. But you get uh, Jamie Shanahan joining uh, and telling an improbable anecdote about his three-year-old child asking where Melbourne finished on the ladder the year before. 
I told my three-year-old son I was coming to Melbourne and his first Christian I was with, they finished on the ladder last year. So. <laughs> and you get a, the, in the voiceover, they're very polite about Peter Matera saying he was going to join Melbourne, then changing his mind and staying with West Coast. The Demons were tempted by Eagles speedster Peter Matera, a five-time All-Australian. They couldn't lure him from Perth. But then they cut to an interview where Cameron Schwabery basically just lets the cat out of the bag and says, yeah, he agreed to join us and then changed his mind. Got a lot closer than we ever expected from the start. We've got... Uh, Close enough for him to, in fact, indicate that his, his club of choice was Melbourne. Uh, unfortunately, he changed his mind, but we respect his right to change his mind. So it really is. You, you couldn't get a more comprehensive uh, rundown on a season, and it kind of makes you it makes you sad that you don't get this kind of thing now. Like the, the footy club will just put up, you know, 15 minutes of highlights from a season on YouTube at the end of it. This is what we want. We want the off-field. We want the, the cuts to the news of the day. Uh, and again, I'm not going to watch the Fremantle one of these, so I don't care if it goes for two and a half hours. I don't expect Fremantle fans to watch the Melbourne one, so I would like my hours to be two and a half hours as well. So let's get the footy clubs going and back doing this kind of stuff. If, if Australian football video have abdicated their responsibilities, let's get the footy clubs putting packages together like this. Well, they've got in-house media departments. There's nothing stopping them from doing it. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's actually interesting um, you mentioned this because I've got a theory at the moment that because football history kind of has a bit of classic hits radio to it. Like it, it tends to be eighties, nineties and today. Um, and today is 20 years, two decades worth of football, but we don't do um, proper season recaps. Like that was the season that was, hasn't been made for at least 16 years. Yep. Um, there hasn't been a proper decade Absolutely. recap of um, the 2000s or the 2010s. Um, and, you know, classic games all seem to stop in about 2001. And we don't have these proper historical documentations of seasons like like Melbourne in 1998. Like we do, um, we, we, we joke about it and, we, you know, make the funny observations about what happened. But these are legitimate pieces of history and they've held very fondly by fans like yourself. Exactly. And look, I, I, maybe not. Uh, you wouldn't expect people to sit down and put together a two and a half hour extravaganza like this, but even a one hour, you, know, you could subcontract it to the fans to do almost. Here's the video. Someone out there has got to be um, talented in video production and um, whack, th- whack a few things together and get someone to do a voiceover. You know, I'll, I'll write right, a script. Willis is available. Point. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's yeah. absolutely dying for work. So, you know, I'll, I'll write the script. It doesn't, and to me, I wouldn't care. I know no one's going to want to watch Melbourne 2013 where we won two games, but I would because you, you play down, you play down the 100-point losses, you play up the two games we won. Way, way, we kicked 12 goals in the last quarter against GWS. What a great time that was. Let's spend 15 minutes talking about that and, you know, 30 seconds talking about when we lost to Eston by 150 points. But I think what there's a, there's almost kind of- a, um, a, there's, what's the word I'm looking for here? They, there is a duty to capture this history by somebody out there, um, whether it's clubs or uh, an organisation externally or even fans themselves. Um, and I guess that's where I was inspired by this video in my, in my life and to post, to put posts on Demon Blog that are exceedingly long and ridiculously over the top and detailed because at least in 20, 30 years' time when someone reads it, they'll get more of a, an idea of what happened. And... When are you going to read about the guy that fell flat in his face trying to kick in from full back or the guy that kicked out of bounds, um, you know, at a ridiculously 
obscure angle that no one's ever seen before because that's the stuff you'll never see again because there's no more plays of the week videos there's no more highlights packages like that it's all just here's four minutes of maybe all the goals if you're lucky and if it's the afl website you won't even get all the goals from a game uh, or somewhere one day i'm guessing they're going to upload all these videos to youtube uh, to the afl website and have an afl network where you're able to just pick a game and watch it but you know you just lack that highlights version of it that you you get offered here and you got offered through australian football video yep here 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 could not agree with you more there, Adam. And we, um, did, we didn't just do 100 minutes of the action in this video. We were, forget no. the 100 minutes of action, we'll give you 150 minutes of action. Yeah, not just the highlights, not just the last quarter, uh, as yeah. the great one at Ronald Dalbarassi uh, once proclaimed. Not just the um, highlights, the everything in this case, video's case. Everything. Not No stone unturned for Melbourne no. in 1998. No stone unturned. And um, rightly so. Footy flashbacks, your team's finest moments on video. Flashback to glory, flashback to heroes, flashback to the great history making quarters and legendary highlights from Collingwood, Geelong, West Coast, Essendon, Adelaide, Melbourne, Carlton, and St Kilda. Fabulous footy flashbacks. Flash into these stores for your video now. into the video we finally actually get to the start of the season and you play uh, I think you play Frio at Subiaco on a scorching hot day in Perth uh, my old mate David Schwartz is back in form um, some apt narration from Stephen Phillips saying not even the ice fests could cool Melbourne down they would skip away in the second term before hitting the heat barrier not even the ice fests could cool things down um, and but the great thing was is that there is something for everyone in this video. There's not just things for Melbourne fans because, you know what, they're going to chuck in some highlights from Fremantle cult heroes, Kingsley Hunter and Clive Waterhouse kicking goals. Yes, I did Clive storming into the open goal and uh, ramming one home, yeah. Uh, but what I'm disappointed most about in this game is could the Frio fans have been given any better free kick with than Jeff White coming and playing in front of them in round one? That it could have been, there could have been banners, there could have been people hanging over the railings and calling him names and everything. And instead, I don't recall anything at the time, and it certainly doesn't qualify for the video if there was someone holding up anti-Jeff White banners. Uh, but what a lost opportunity by Fremantle fans to, to really get into him. And Melbourne fans know how to do that well. Well, we are the masters of that. This, these are the kind of incidents we look back at and say they missed their opportunity, but we took our <laughs> opportunity. And then you play North in the second week, which again, more Stephen Phillips' brilliant narration. Where uh, Melbourne, this is this is dubbed as a David v. Goliath battle between the reigning wooden spooners against the 
ANSET Cup Premiers. Yes, well. the Schooners against the ANSET Cup champions and AFL Premiership favourites. If ever there was a David and Goliath battle, it was this match in early April at the MCG. Yes, well, what better uh, inspiration can you get than a game against the reigning ANSET Cup Premiers? But it's it's but th- this is where Melbourne '98 really kicks off because yep. I think you have a very good win over North, 25 points, and uh, you see Neitz and Schwartz back at it together. Well, low key, this is one of my favourite games of all time uh, because this was probably the day that really got me back into footy after a couple of years of being you know teenage sookie. You don't want to be into the things you're into when you're a kid, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I went this day, and it was just. An amazing game, and I've I've got it um, in its entirety on YouTube somewhere. I uploaded it where we obviously we won the spoon the year before. We lost in round one, and next thing you know, we're forty odd points up in front of North Melbourne, uh, and it just looks like we're, we're absolutely unstoppable. And now on the video, you'll you'll notice Doug Hawkins calling the game over before halftime. By halftime, the lead had blown to seven goals. Calling again that early over, but I tell you what, it looks ordinary for North Melbourne here. Look at the sharpness oh. of these hands. Uh, which is all part of one of the most baffling commentary performances in history. And so many of his weird things that he says during this game are actually captured in the highlights on this video. So if you are a neutral, I advise you, you do not need to watch this whole video, but you do need to watch the round two versus North Melbourne segment just to hear Doug Hawkins talking some... Just, it's the space cadet stuff. Um, you got Sean Smith makes Glenn Archer look stupid in a marking contest, and you just get Hawk going, oh, ho, 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 no. Oh, oh. oh, no. Hang time, Sean Smith. Uh, and <laughs> things like that. Uh, it's, it's just absolutely bizarre. But this game itself, and then, of course, yeah, after D- Hawk declares it to be dead and buried and over at half time. North then stormed back from seven goals down uh, and hit the lead in the last quarter, uh, at which point Gary Lyon goes into the, the middle of the ground. And this is this is all Gary Lyon this game because you got he kicks a goal earlier and Sandy Roberts puts on a, a very strange foreign accent and says something like, Gary Lyon, Gary Lyon, go Gary Lyon. Yes. Gary Lyon, go Gary Lyon. Yes. Uh, and there's another point in it where he says, Welcome back, Gary Lyon. And he just says Gary Lyon in a strange a strange method. Uh, but later in the game, with North absolutely running over the top of us, Gary goes into the centre, decks a North player in an absolutely savage tackle, uh, and which leads us to us kicking the, the steadying goal. Um, and we do hold on to win that game. And it's just... Yeah, it remains one of my favourite games of all time uh, just because it was one of those games that really got me back into into footy uh, after a couple of years of being sookie about it. So you have that great win against uh, North Melbourne and then just to prove that you are an afterthought in the AFL's fixtures, I thought, you know what, let's let's send them to Brisbane the next week uh, and play in a humidity, 29, 79% humidity, 29 degrees. Um, all I can take out of this uh, game... Uh, was uh, there was some highlights from Craig Smoker, which um, uh, Sandy Roberts is again having more fun with. But uh, there's also some great Sandy Roberts logic in the Brisbane game of round three when he uh, does a does, chucks in a cricket reference. Yeah, why, why not? It's the Gabba. Who are you mm-hmm. to doubt Sandy Roberts? He's got to run up here like Michael Holdings. Let's see what he does. Big talk. Oh, there Kicking is no from- bigger podcast that is more a fan of Sandy Roberts than this one. <laughs> 
Well, also you've got the you've got Maddie Campbell uh, on the commentary as well, which is a a very it's a, almost it's like Craig Smoker. It just says you're in the late nineties when you see uh, when you hear Matthew Campbell on the call on Channel Seven, uh, and of course you've got a big ad for Spam on the Gabba fence as well, which is also a very uh, very nineties thing. There's also messages on hold signs there, which was more a Subiaco thing, but they somehow ended up at the Gabba as well. Yeah, wafted over from Perth. They were trying to, to, to capture those two ends of the country. They never did anything in Melbourne, but they, they captured the Perth market and they captured the Gabba market. One of the things you've included in your post, your comprehensive review of Hotter Than Hell 98, is you've also got extra, extracts from the football record at the time. Um and you've picked something out from the record of the round two Brisbane game, uh, which is, uh, I think it's sort of like a bit of a vox pop with celebrities, a Channel 7 stars, yep. revealing their favourite footy team. And uh, uh, Andrew Daddo's love of Melbourne uh, is featured, which is just fantastic. Yeah, he says, he says, I chose to follow the Melbourne footy team, which is a really generic, like Sydney side of way of saying it, follow the Melbourne footy yep. team when I was about 10 because they were cellar dwellers at the time. And I thought, well, they've got to improve. And then the second uh, question he gets, he responds, I, I think it's the way Melbourne can always surprise you. Of course, the surprises are not always good. So that's, <laughs> that's logic that's carried on for the next 20 years of uh, the Melbourne football club. So I'm wondering if we can get, get Andrew into just give us a review of the last 20 years and, and see if he still feels the same way. <laughs> uh, so you have that big win against Brisbane um, and the early part of Melbourne season, we'll, we'll smash through it, but we should really give this game a bit of a shout out because it does get a bit of a run in the classic matches is of course your round four game against Carlton at Prince's Park. So you've had a very tough first month. It's been Perth and at home at the MCG, Brisbane. and Against then the reigning NCAA Cup Premiers, don't forget. Against, uh, Oh, yeah, North Melbourne, the reigning Ansett Cup premiers, and then Carlton had won the Ansett Cup the previous year before. So you had some pre-season specialists that you came up against. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think, I think uh, the, the game you play at the then-known Optus Oval, Princess Park, um, is uh, there's some, there are significant highlights, and it's also, I think, Jim Steins gets injured. Yeah, and he, Jim Steins, this is where his run ends um, due to a broken hand, uh, and also David Neitz breaks his ankle. So it... it could have had serious implications on our season. Uh, you, what you see after this video of this game is Jim Stein's getting interviewed, uh, where I think the the voiceover from the news says, oh, he's not going to try. He says he's going to try alternative medicine. And then they go to Jim Stein's and he's like, well, if you mean alternative medicine, I don't mean, what does he say, crystals or sitting on pyramids. So it's not like he says, it's almost like they've asked him, are you going to try alternative medicines? And he said, well, you know, settle down. I'm just going to, you know, drink tea or something like that. Amazingly, though, Stein says he could still play against Port Adelaide on Sunday and will again try alternative medicine to aid his recovery. Well, it depends what you mean by alternative. I think some people think, uh, you know, we'll be calling on the spirits and sitting on the pyramids and all that. No, it's not, it's not what I mean by alternative. But, yeah, I've, you know, I've already had some work done on it. And they've said... Well, he's he's going to try alternative medicine, so he gets verbaled a bit by Channel Nine there, poor old Jim. But yeah, that's that's the end of his streak, and it actually kicks off, uh, you know, a, quite an injury crisis for him because he comes back a few weeks later and then 
does a medial and he's out for a few more weeks. So never rains at pause. And of course, uh, one of the highlights of the game, which is also featured in a Australian football video film festival favourite, Bumps, Biffs and Brawlers, or Biffs, Bumps and Brawlers, pretending, uh, depending on how you want the title to be seen as. It's different on the cover, yet different on the show, um, is of course Marcus Seacamp uh, just belting Brad Pierce. Oh, good play, Camper Rally. On the outskirts of the back, Pierce at the back. Yeah, well, it's, it's quarter time, so the siren goes with the, the ball in, in Seeker's hands, and Brad gives him the ditziest little clip to the stomach that you'll ever see. Oh, I don't even know if it connected. And then so Brad uh, Marcus just punches him in the face, uh, and Brad, Brad goes down like a, a rock thrown into the sea directly in front of the umpire. Like the umpire could not have had a better view of it, but the umpire sort of just says, quarter time, lads, let's go. And off they go to the quarter time huddle. So I don't, I'm not a, an expert on the rules. I don't know if a, a free kick can be paid after the siren. I think it's a bit weird because you can pretty much then do whatever you like if the siren can go and you can't get a free kick paid against you. Um, but yeah, it's he, he copped a he copped a suspension, poor old Marcus, for that. But he probably couldn't he probably couldn't argue it too much, given that he had yeah biffed him in the face right in front of the umpire, and it would Violence. not be the last time Marcus was uh, a guest of the tribunal this season. Yeah, yeah, and, and let's let's gloss over the fact that uh, I will go he if James McDonald's winning goal was not actually a point. Um, several yeah. Carlton fans I know to this day will not let me live that down that that was a point, but. It was a point, but in these days before video replays, when everything had to be to perfection, uh, we'll take it. Uh, And one of the other things memorable about this game is the vision of a young Nathan Brown running around looking like a member of Hanson. For those of you who don't remember early Nathan Brown, because he played 98, missed 99, came back 2000. He had, he looked like he should have been playing for Freo with Jess Sinclair. He had like big blonde, bleach blonde hair and, Long hair tied back, and it was it was great. So you get a couple of shots of him just dashing through with this bright, yeah, bright blonde hair, uh, really standing out. Uh, round five v Port at the MCG. Um, it's kind of built as uh, Jeff White as being sort of the understudy for Jim Steins, and it's just the kids having. You know, Melbourne's playing the kids because of all the injury problems, and um, you see some things like an early Russell Robinson mark, but then of course there's a bit of Shane Woe Woden highlights where he goes on that run. Yeah, he burns from one end to the other. And uh, Peter Landy, I think it was, does a a very famous call of that. Uh, My my version of it would be, still Wo Woden, still Wo Woden, kick a goal, son. And he puts it through at the uh, punt road end. And and to me, that should have been the goal of the year, not the one we actually won for goal of the year. It comes up to halfback, Wo Woden, good turn of speed, through some pretty heavy traffic, couple of bounces. Fancies himself on oh, lovely ball. Still Wo Woden. Still Wo Woden. Wo Woden from half forward. Kick it goal, son. Oh, oh. Great footy. I think this was a the Jeff Farmer goal at Waverley, which obviously we'll discuss in the future. It was a great goal, uh, but I prefer this one. And despite the fact that m- many times during this game they focus on the stands and there is literally nobody in enormous parts of the ground. Uh, I think perhaps the, the Ponsford stand might have been closed that day because there's a screenshot of it I've got on my post where there is literally there's no one in it. Uh, and I remember as a Ponsford stand fanatic from from way back, I remember actually sitting uh, on the wings, I think, where the AFL members is now that day, which is very unusual, not somewhere where I would usually sit. So 
I'm sure we showed up to the, the Ponsford and were redirected to go somewhere else that day because they were expecting a crowd of nobody and Julie received a crowd of nobody. And then the next week you play Sydney um, and there's some brilliant, uh, the narration of these videos are always fantastic and Stephen Phillips doesn't let us down uh, because Plugger, you're playing the Swans in Sydney and Plugger's out with a virus and he says words to the extent of they had four goals on the board before Plugger could reach for his hanky. Didn't the demons love it? They had four goals on the board before Plugger could reach for his hanky. It's just magnificent. I just love the narration, the script on this video. Like, I don't know if Stephen Phillips wrote it himself uh, or someone wrote it for him, but it's just brilliant. And this is what we're missing out on. You see highlights packages where you just get the commentary of what happened in the highlight. Whereas you go back to the Carlton game and there was a bit where it said, Melbourne let Carlton open a three-goal lead midway through the last quarter. Normally that would have been enough. Not this year, thank you. Things like that. They're just these brilliant like novelty statements that get peppered throughout this video that it's just, to me, and I guess Melbourne fans around my age, it's just some of the stuff on this is just iconic, uh, the things Stephen Phillips, and I had no idea who Stephen Phillips was at the time, uh, but years later knowing it was him, uh, some of the stuff he says on the voiceover is just amazing. Just to go to the, still focusing on the Swans game, um, a bit of more fashion talk. Melbourne are in navy blue, what I call clash socks. They, they didn't look too bad in those, actually. Um, and on a wet SCG day, uh, there's some two soccer goals from Craig Smoker, the one and only Craig Smoker, a favourite of this video. Um, and Sandy's just loving him. I think he says something along the lines of, the Smoker may go off the ground. And he does. Inspirational as he charges them forward once again. The Smoker may go off the ground. And he does. Now catches, they say. Yeah, they must have been devastating when he played about two games the next year and got delisted because at this point it looked like he was going to be a fixture on Channel 7 for many years to come. He goes, um, that was he kicked seven goals in that month um, of footy smoker and coming from someone who was on the West Coast rookie list or on West Coast list and delisted without playing a game, uh, he really came good for a little bit. But as Melbourne fans know, from your, your Darren Cuthbertsons, your Brent Heavers, your Liam Jarrahs, we've been ta- taunted many a time with a forward who looked like they were going to kick a lot of goals and uh, is suddenly never heard from again. So the Ds are on a six-game winning streak. Things are looking good. And you've beaten the Swans at the SCG, which is a big deal at the time and still is these days, to be fair. And uh, it's Todd Viney's 200th game and he's uh, he's in the kitchen and he's I think he's launching a cookbook and he's also trying to get people to sign up as Melbourne Football Club members for 1998. Yeah, well, why not? Why not at this point of the season where we actually have now won more games than we did in the whole of last year? And now also, why wouldn't Todd launch a cookbook when throughout this video we are treated to the shot of him giving his thoughts on the season while sitting on a couch with his kitchen in the background. Uh, There is the kettle. You can see the kettle. You can see his fridge. And, gee, I'd love to use, you know, if modern technology was able to be applied to Hotter Than Hell 98 to zoom in and see what was on his fridge. Um, You'd just love to see like a a kindergarten enrolment for four-year-old Jack or something like that. And what are those pieces of paper on Todd's fridge? That has been a mystery that has really... Um, you know, weighed my life down to this point. Uh, and there also appears to be in the background just casually a pair of yellow dishwashing gloves just sitting on the bench as well. Uh, so he obviously didn't have time to to clean up before the Hotter Than Hell video crew came around. 
the good thing is, I mentioned earlier that uh, in the first game that you lost against Frio, there was highlights from uh, Kingsley Hunter and Clive Waterhouse. But in this game, you lose to the Tigers. Um, it features a goal from Richmond cult hero Brett the Birdman Evan. Well, I'm glad there's I'm glad there's Richmond highlights in this video because there weren't many Melbourne highlights. As we're reminded in the voiceover, our much vaunted forward line failed to fire. Uh, I don't believe they took one mark with the inside within 50, uh, all the forward 50 all day. So it was the end of a great run uh, and also a major personal disappointment to me because uh, I must have eaten something very dubious at the MCG that day because I, I will admit, and I've written this in my blog, that I partially shit my shorts on the way home. So it's a very memorable day for me. There's a big clash against Collingwood the following week, and I think there's a and there's a grab of, uh, of course, the president, Diamond Joe. Diamond Joe Goodnick is at the uh, D's training session at the MCG, talking that the returns have been good for the season and things are looking good uh, from uh, a Melbourne football club off-field perspective. And there's a bit of Steve and Phoebe. It's, it's Jim Stein's 250th, and it's actually a really good 1990s-style shootout between the D's and Pies. And one thing that I do notice, it just seems that Sandy Roberts has been designated and rostered on for every single Melbourne game in the first half of 98. Which I don't mind because he doesn't bring Doug Hawkins with him every week. After the uh, just cavalcade of crazy Doug Hawkins comments in that round two game, I think there's maybe one more for the season where you sort of hear him pipe up in the background with just, whoa, or something like that. Um, so we, we don't mind Sandy. And this, this was a particularly good game because it was a very exciting finish. Uh, of course, I didn't see the... I, I never saw the highlights because you couldn't go home and just watch the highlights on YouTube in those days um, until probably when I put Hotter Than Hell in the VHS, maybe. I'm assuming they would have released this. Could they have rush released it for Christmas or would we have had to possibly wait for the start of 1999? I can't remember when I first got my hands on this. Uh, but I was there that day. Uh, I was in a corporate box... Uh, age 17 years old before responsible service of alcohol had obviously been invented uh, and had probably one or two drinks and was absolutely blind by the end of this game. Um, I remember climbing on the window of the box. If, if anyone remembers the old Olympic stand corporate boxes, they had a ledge. They didn't just have a sheer drop where you'd die if you tried to stand on the, the ledge. I climbed onto the ledge outside the corporate box and sang the song after we won. So... It was a, a, an extremely exciting game, especially when you're a lightweight 17-year-old pisshead on the loose at the MCG. So you have that thrilling win over Collingwood, and then there's this round nine clash against Essendon. And this is there's a lot of build-up to this, what is a twilight fixture, which was seen as very radical at the time. These days, they're pretty much normal. Um, but uh, there's a, I think it's, it's, it's built up as a sort of uh, clash between master and apprentice, of course, with uh, Neil Danaher and Kevin Sheedy and... Uh, there's, there's little clips uh, during the week of him having lunch at the uh, Melbourne's old Bentley Club. Do they still have the Bentley Club? That we do. We've uh, we've taken them over now. They're now part of part of the club oh. rather than just a uh, an extension of the club, which I think is more of a, a real estate thing to get our hands on the the land that they're situated on. Uh, what I like with the Bentley Club is they managed to get a lot of Melbourne sponsorship branding up there because if you've noticed watching this video, as you go on the backdrops behind Neil Danaher are just a shambles throughout the season. Like at one point he has no backdrop and they're doing an interview. Basically they're crowding around him with microphones. At one point it's a white backdrop. At one point it's a blue backdrop. Like if you were, if you were a marketing department these days and you did that kind of thing, the, uh, the CEO would be cutting your head off. But back at the time, the late nineties, you know, it wasn't such a, wasn't such a, a focus, the marketing and, and promotion 
of things. Um, this is the season, of course, where the AFL started to promote their website and they'd say things like, you know, surf the information superhighway on www.afl.com.au uh, and things like that. If you look in the footy records, then there's a lot of ads uh, of that nature. So it was just when we started to get a bit, uh, you know, in, into the marketing and branding side of things being really important, which I think if you, you fast forward two years even, by 2000, it, it had just come the entire industry had just come a mile forward from where they were in 1998. And it was also, um, there's also more, they sort of go from talking about, you know, round by round recaps of the D season, but then they chuck in a bit of a, a pregame interview uh, that was done between uh, Don Cordner and Dick Reynolds because it's the uh, reunion of the drawn 1948 grand final. Yep, and, and of course we get the screenshot of the 1948 grand final score in the same format that they have the scores from the real games during the season, which I like. It's kind of, it, it's a cute touch. Um, of course, if you were going to be pedantic, you'd say it was the score of the 1948 VFL grand final replay, um, not the grand final. But I, I, and they've got that great anecdote with Cordner saying with his uh, they they'd lost to Essendon three times that year and he said to the Essendon bloke oh, this is it and the other the other the Essendon guy says unless it's a draw unless it's a draw. Dick Reynolds and I went out to toss just before the '48 Grand Final. We had already played Essendon three times and we had been soundly defeated each time. I said to Dick, "This is our last shot at you, Dick," and Dick said and i kid you not unless it's a draw donald unless it's a draw you get done by essendon we uh, do we usually in, do in, in that match yeah and then you play the crows the following week at footy park you go down in that um but uh, again um stephen phillips uh, narration is brilliant as always when you lose to the crows but uh you, you were missing uh, the likes of viney steins tingay lovett neats uh to name a few in that match and there was, I think there was, there was some good highlights from Ox, David Schwartz, and Shane Woden. But what I did like about the Adelaide Crows recap was the line: "Retribution would come later in the year," and so it did. But yes, at Football Park, we do a winner game at Football Park later in the year, which I'm surprised by. When I was watching this again, I haven't seen it probably for two years now since I wrote this post. And when we played Port later in the season at Football Park, I thought we'll lose this. And then, oh, I think we actually win this because basically that's all we ever did lose at Football Park. So there was never any expectation of a win. Uh, good season, bad season or middle season, we always expected to lose at Football Park. After the Crows game, you play, you did play, geez, you played away a lot in the first half of 98. You head over to good old Waverley Park and play um, the Hawks. And then, of course, most people would probably not remember the match, but they would remember the highlight of Jeff Farmer going for a run on the Waverley Park. Run on ground level, pounced on by Farmer. He's kicked a couple already. He's dangerous. The Wizard runs the centre wing, pops it short to Gary Lyon and keeps running. The Wizard, he's got it. He's going to take him on. Runs to 50. Great play. This could go through, but bounces. It's a goal. Oh. Sensational play. Jeffrey Farmer. Goal of Magnificent. the year. Well, yeah, this was the first time I actually ever went to Waverley on my own, which was very exciting. Rite of passage. Um, odd to have the rite of passage of going to a ground on your own two weeks after you were pissed off your nut on three drinks in an MCG corporate box. Uh, but I just remember it was bucketing down raining that day. And as we see later when Neil Danaher is interviewed in what appears to be a Swedish sauna at the end of the game, uh, it obviously Waverley's, Waverley's uh, administrative and media area did not cope well with the 
the uh, heat versus cold on the day. Uh, this was a really good win because this is where you had your Adelaide loss, you had your Essendon loss. It's, things started to wobble in the middle of the season and they would extremely wobble in weeks to come. But this, for a little bit at least, gets us back on a level playing field. Uh, Farmer kicks what was a judge the goal of the year, even though it should have lost to Woe Woden. Uh, and he also belts Shane Crawford and gets suspended. So it was a massive day out for the Wiz. Uh, and we've got KB on commentary as well, which is also something that dates this video as the late 90s like nothing else. As always here on the Australian Football Video Film Festival throughout this series, we take some time out to look at the great products available at our sponsor, leaguetees.com.au. The best football merchandise, in fact, sporting merchandise, if not fashion, going round right now. In fact, just in general, when I think fashion, I think leaguetees.com.au, as should any avid listener of the Australian Football Video Film Festival think so. Now, I'm having a look at their D's range, and uh, D's fans are in for a treat in terms of the great products available here at leaguetees.com.au. Now, they've got badges, they've got hoodies, they've got T-shirts, they've got it all. They've got all your fashion needs sorted, and uh, the Melbourne range is great. You can get a Fuchsia's uh, T-shirt with the Melbourne Fuchsia's logo, well, a custom-made one, of course, they were the Fuchsias before they were the Demons uh, originally in the olden days. And uh, there's even an awesome D's football shirt just with D's and a Demon. It's one of a Anthony uh, Anthony's brilliant designs that he does there at leaguetees.com.au. And I am told there's more Melbourne stuff in the works. So keep an eye on League Tees throughout the season. Now, what I do love uh, when I go on the leaguetees.com.au site is to... Um, press on the tagline as to a certain club. And I love the which I hate badge comes up the most. And for Melbourne, well, it goes back to the 50s, I guess. The I hate Collingwood football badge, which probably comes up on a lot of teams' uh, algorithms, to be fair. But you can purchase an I hate Collingwood football badge at leaguetees.com.au along with a host of others. It is a fantastic site. Anthony Costa, who runs it, does a brilliant job, and there's always brilliant new designs, including it's not just uh, footy stuff. You can get uh, rugby league. There's women's footy stuff. There's NBL stuff. There's old VFA stuff. Um, It is a fantastic range that they've got at leaguetees.com.au. So what's the website you're going to go on? Well, I've already said it about 50 times, but I'm going to say it again. leaguetees.com.au. That's leaguetees.com.au. Halfway point of the season, so we're, we're, we're at the halfway point of Melbourne's 1998 season in hotter than hell, um, and then you play Geelong in round 12. You get 
belted oh. by the cats. And Geelong appear to be wearing, speaking of the fashion at the time, Geelong appears to be in a horrible navy blue away jumper, which looks more like a Carlton version. Yep. Um, looks more of a Carlton jumper than a, Mel- than a Geelong jumper. David Schwartz does his hamstring. Cats beat you by 95 points. Um, and then it's it's a grim, it's a grim couple of midways points of the season because then you play the Saints the following week at the MCG. Yep. Um, just when you thought it was safe to walk on the MCG, up comes St Kilda, says Stephen Phillips. Just when you thought it was safe to walk back onto the MCG, up Bob St Kilda. When did we like think it was safe goals. to come back onto the MCG after we'd just lost by 95 points to one team and then we lost our last start there as well? So I'm not sure going into the ground that day where I was subsequently, for some reason, sat outside all day, even though it was pissing down raining. I'm not sure I ever felt it was safe to go back to the MCG. Um, but you were down. You were down, people. Nick Neil Danaher in the press conference even said, we really need some men. Yeah. Yeah. He's, re- he's really... The- str- you can see the, the strain coming on him. He's had this really great run at the start of his career, uh, senior coaching career, where he's, he's wrenched a pretty much, apart from White, Shanahan and... Craig Smoker, it's pretty much the wooden spoon 97 list that he's playing with. He's got he's got a fit Gary Lyon, which is helpful, but he's also had the Neats injuries, he's had the Steins injuries, and you can see that stress is coming on him for the first time. But I think one thing I love about these Neil Danaher press conferences, and they're certainly not press conferences by the modern standards. Again, it's just a bloke standing up now in front of a backdrop with people putting microphones in his face. When he talks about players that we've got two of, he never says their full name. He says, G love it, A McDonald, J McDonald, B love it. He, he, he just in the middle of his comment, he was like, oh, we, we need blokes like Lion, Steins, G love it. It's just a very unusual thing that you, to hear him say. Uh, but yeah, you can really see the stress um, starting to come on him uh, because, yeah, even in this game, David Schwartz does a hammy. Uh, we're really starting to drop players um, at a million miles an hour. I think this is the. Would you say this would be the turning point the following week after those losses? Yeah, um, you go out. It, 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 this, you know, which is very a very standard story for a team having a good season. They have that. They they go over to a place like Perth as you do, and you play West Coast at Subiaco, and you win away. Um, more fashion talk. The color clash between the dark blue Eagles jumper and the dark blue D's jumper made for very hard viewing, but I'm sure the teams didn't notice that. But yeah. uh, I think Todd Viney re- even talks about in the video of it being like one of the highlights of his career. Yeah, being he does. West Coast he does, CBA, which just but... goes to show the uh, the torment and distress that we put him through during his career. Uh, we end up going out there and played probably, well, in my mind, it's one of the highlights of my career. It was just such a great win uh, to beat them over there. They were a tough unit. And we look back at the end of the year now and say, well, that was a really important game. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, you know, we, we didn't have farm was suspended, Schwartz was out, Shanahan's out, Steins was out. You know, this is a team with, with novelty names galore. You had Mark Bradley, you had Donald Cockatoo-Collins of the much maligned Melbourne Cockatoo-Collinses. Uh, no one, it, like, if you think, if we think going to Adelaide was a guaranteed loss, going to Perth was a double guaranteed loss especially against the Eagles. Now, I think the Eagles were probably on the slide here. Two years later, we'd beat them by about 80 points uh, at Subiaco. But at the time, we were not to know that. Uh, and this was just an amazing, amazing game to win um, under the circumstances with you know this, this really B-grade team. Um, you got Russell Robertson kicked four, which was somehow uh, 
those goals were given to James McDonald according to Hotting Hotter Than Hell, but I can assure you it was Russell Robertson who kicked the four. So that was the first really good game of his career. Uh, and yeah, we just shocked him. It's probably the one of the last great games Stephen Tingay plays and he kicks a goal and does like a Hulk Hogan, you know, 24-inch python kissing the kissing the um, the bicep to celebrate. Uh, it was just a really great game um, to get us back on get us back on track. The following week, you play away yet again. I reckon this is your maybe your second last away game because then you have a massive string of time at home after you were pretty much at what well, I, without doubt, see Melbourne as clearly an afterthought in the nineteen ninety eight fixture yeah. writing. Well, that's the um, that's the wooden spoon dividend there. Yeah, that that is very true. Um, you head out to uh, Optus Oval, the then home of the Western Bulldogs at the time. Um, and, and they're top of the ladder. Gary Lyon kicks... The, what was confusing about the highlights of this particular match is that it sounded like Melbourne had a win. The way they recapped it, it sounds... Oh, Melbourne went to... Not only did they beat West Coast, but they went and beat the Western Bulldogs at their home ground. And then right at the end, they kind of admit that we lost, but it's like... Uh, and it didn't matter. A loss here didn't matter. And it's like, hold on a minute. We've settled down. I know the Bulldogs were a good team, but... You know, we uh, let, let's not get too excited. Any any loss is a bad loss. Uh, you know, it was only three goals, but again, you can tell for all the heroics in Perth, the leading goal kickers in this game were Mark Bradley and Anthony McDonald. So you, you can tell our forward line that was so good at the start of the year and would be really good at the end of the year. At this point, it was just in a massive ditch without Farmer, without Neats, uh, with White having to play uh, in Jim Steins' role. Um, yeah, you, you wouldn't have backed us to make the finals at this point after round 15. But then fortunately, we get on a, a ripper of a run to the end of the year and, and make it quite comfortably in the end. Get the job done over Frio in the return match at the MCG. Um, I think there's also... Um, you have a bit of a run at the MCG, actually, from now on. I, I don't know about teams having big runs at the MCG in the lead up to finals. I didn't realise that was a thing. To any, I thought that was only a thing recently, if you talk to some people, but I'll leave the editorial <laughs> comment elsewhere. Um, but uh, you play... There, there is some. There are mistakes. There are little mistakes in the video because the Round 17 game uh, was at the MCG, but for some reason the video said it was at Waverley. Yep. Yeah, um, and then the only also, one. that's not the only one. It's not the only one. What are the other, yeah, what are the, what are the uh, uh, production errors, the continuity errors of uh, Hotter Than Hell 98? Which ones can you point that really stand out? Of course, we had that wrong goal kicker uh, earlier in the game where they gave Russell Robertson the goals. And then at some point, I, I can't even remember where, but there is some point where they botch the score when they actually put the score of the game up. It has no even remote connection to what the actual score of the game is. About the only thing they get right is the, the fact that Melbourne lost. Um, it might have been that Adelaide game that we just talked about, but yeah, there's a point where that happens. So obviously it's a uh, it's not a high-budget production. They probably had to put all their money into buying two-and-a-half-hour video videotapes um, to send all these out to... Where, where would you have bought an Australian football video in the day? I, mean, I reckon I would have got mine from Maya. Uh, I think there's... I'm almost certain that I would have bought this video from Maya. Um, where else? Your sanity. sanities, your brashes, yep. yeah. Yep. JB, all those kind of places. All, all they had a lot of Kmart. videos to go out to people like that. So maybe they had to uh, say, "Well, we've, we've run out of budget. Just get uh, you know, get Stephen's kid or something to do the editing." And that's cost us a couple of times during the video, but that's all right. Again, we we let it go. We take this is the this is what following Melbourne's all about. You've got to turn a blind eye to some quality disasters and focus on the good stuff. 
You've got that. You've got a great run in the lead up to the finals, um, and you capture it in your blog. That you, and, you, and you're playing at the MCG after all. After what was a pretty bloody tough um, draw when you look at it. So that that's to be commended. And this Melbourne team is starting to look really good, and they're they're getting off to like really good starts where they're just blitzing teams and putting the game beyond doubt at halftime. And uh, one of the things I did pick up in your fantastic piece, which we will include in the podcast description without doubt, if you want to play along with us for Hotter Than Hell 1998, is that um, you've got the uh, you've got you've got a game against Brisbane, um, as, as a return game against Brisbane, which is not a memorable match at all. Um, and there's what, eight, maybe what, 15,000 people at the MCG, yeah. but you pretty much just focus it on being your time at the MCG just being about watching Voice of the G. Yes. Now, for astute listeners of the Australian Football Video Film Festival, when we say Voice of the G, I think a fair majority of our listeners would know exactly what we're talking about. But um, do you care to explain for the people who are learning as part of this show what Voice of the G was. Yeah, well, he was like a match day host where if you go to a Melbourne game, for instance, now you have Russell Robertson doing the hosting. I'm sure other clubs, James Sherry seems to pop up. Pete Laser seems to pop up all over the place. But this was the guy that did every single MCG game, no matter who was playing. Uh, you might have recognised him as Colin Carpenter's housemate from the Colin Carpenter show or apparently the voice of the dog from the Bob Morrison show. Uh, and he would, before the game, he'd, he'd go up to people and interview them and you know ask them who they thought was going to win. Then they'd have the PlayStation Challenge uh, during the game where it seemed to be there was there was two options. They'd either have the people play the AFL footy game on the PlayStation or they'd have them play a racing game on the PlayStation. And no matter how, which one you did, they just totally devolved into shambles because you'd either have people who didn't know how to use the brake on a PlayStation because they just crashed the car into the wall for a minute and a half before the game was over or you'd have the footy game where people had no idea how to meticulously craft a goal uh, and the scores would often end at nil all. And this was all hosted by your voice of the G uh, who one week during heritage week actually rebranded himself as spokesperson of the arena. I seem to remember. Uh, And now he released a single that year and that single was called nothing beats the footy at the MCG. verses for the life of me but the chorus which I, I will not sing uh, the chorus which was effectively just nothing beats nothing beats nothing beats the footy at the MCG w- was stuck in my head for years because they would play this song before the game quarter time half time three quarter time the only time you didn't hear it was after the game and at the time I despised it and I had nothing personal against voice of the G just doing his job but at the time he was he was a bit of a heel uh, to me and my fans, because we were so sick of hearing his hit single, which I'm not sure ever actually cracked the Aria charts. Uh, but now you think back and you think I actually want to hear it because it gives me gives me warm and fuzzy memories of these great days at the end of '98. Uh, fortunately, what I do have a link to still on this post is the Ultra Tune jingle, which also seemed to get played at every single ad break. Uh, there was there was the Ultra Tune when your whole car's singing. It's ultra tune. Oh, wow. When your whole car's singing, it's ultra tune. 
It was a Video Easy ad. Video Easy movie guarantee. Get it first time or get it free. Video Easy. Video Easy movie guarantee. Get it first time or get it free. Video Easy. And I'm pretty sure that was the era of the Herald Sun ad with the woman in the car with a dog with Loving You by Minnie Ripperton playing. So there's a few a few happy memories of things that just take me back to the to the G in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. Whereas now I can tell you what the ads were at the MCG. Now it's just they're just not they're just not the same. I I seem to recall there was also there was Voice of the G who did the sort of match day show, did those interviews, did the PlayStation Challenge, did the Coca Cola quarter time, half time, three quarter time summaries yeah. in between the breaks. But there was also the regular ground announcer who was a very old codger kind oh. of guy who used to do the sort of could Dylan Leach yeah. of Brunswick. Please go, admin office, bay six, ground floor, Olympic stand, yeah. please. Yes, they, and I, I last recall that. That sort of died off, I reckon, about 2007. There was one day when we were losing every game at the start of that year. Where, and I remember her name was Marjorie Wilson because I called my post for that game, Marjorie Wilson Appreciation Day, because every two minutes there must have been something serious that happened because it was, would Marjorie Wilson of wherever please go to the bay six administration office, ground floor, Olympic stand, uh, and you just don't hear that anymore. I guess that's because the mobile phone uh, has been has superseded the need to ring up the MCG and say, "Could you please put out a message to Marjorie Wilson? We really needed to to get in contact with us." And and there was also the other classic: patrons are not permitted on the arena after today's game until the second siren. Please keep off the center square. Thank you. And now they think you can just read it on the screen. We'll, we'll say that instead. They don't actually need to tell you that. Um, but I, th- I think we, we lose a bit by not having those kind of things. But, mm. you know, if you were young, if you were 20 years old now, you'd say, what are you people talking about? Uh, it would have absolutely mm. no it would have no benefit to you whatsoever to hear that kind of thing, whereas people like us would, oh, we'd, we'd get a, a rush of nostalgia if we heard someone, do, if we heard that, that tone that used to play before MCG announcements. Well, I think because they have sort of brought back kick to kick at the football in recent years. I don't know if they can bring it back with the current restrictions, um, having attended matches, um, being fortunate enough to attend matches uh, during the Queensland hub. There was definitely no kick to kick on the ground after the game. But what I did have noticed when they have brought it back is that it takes the players do not get off the ground for a very long time. They take forever. And it's probably not until at least like 10 or 15 minutes they'll actually let you on the ground. Yep. But like the whole etiquette is gone. Like, no one runs to the centre square. And they sort of just... No one jumps the fence. They sort of just open little gates and people just gradually make their way onto it. It's not the free-for-all that it used to be. And they try to just stop people from climbing the fence. they like, well, don't worry, we'll open the door for you to come through. Like, I know, uh, you know, liability insurance, like some kid will try and jump the fence, catch their foot, fall face first onto the concrete around the edge and there'll be a lawsuit, but... Again, are, are we living in a kick-to-kick nanny state? There's a there's another option for a podcast for you to discuss. Talk back, get people to call in. Yeah, nine four two nine eleven sixteen is the number. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, so, uh, so we got we got thumped by North at the game that uh, Hotter Than Hell suggested was at Waverley, which uh, unfortunately it, it was at the MCG because I was there watching Wayne Carey run absolutely right in that game. And now that was, of course, the game where Marcus Seacamp got involved in thuggery again. Uh, he was, he did, he did, he loved a Biff Marcus. And this time he thumped Brett Chandler 
And when he went to the tribunal, I don't think it was his defense because you wouldn't think about it, but he, he pointed out that him and Brett Chandler were actually really good mates. Uh, and at the end of the season, they were going on a fishing trip together. So there was obviously no hard feelings uh, between Brett and Marcus, but didn't save him. Uh, he still got two weeks, so that uh, that added that made him five weeks, I think, yeah. for the season uh, suspended as part of that. Yeah, the players it just code. really brings the, the player- down that, that classic back line when you think about it. Like in my head, Seacamp Shanahan Ingerson is like the, you know, triple header, greatest back line I've ever seen at Melbourne. But you take out all the time Seacamp was suspended this season and you take out the fact that Shanahan was basically shot after this season and barely played 99 and then retired. They actually didn't play that many games together. But in my head, courtesy of having seen Hotter Than Hell so many times and basically fetishized this season to my favourite season of all time, um, which still, it still beats 91, 2000, 2018 uh, to the top of the list. In my head, it's still the greatest Melbourne Football Club triple header backline that we've ever had. There is no scientific grounding to that and nothing in reality, but that's the way I feel. Let's go into Melbourne's run to the finals. We'll we'll smash through it, Adam. You, you, I think you you, you smash Brisbane. Uh, you get Carlton done. I think uh, David Parkins like, yep, no, nah, the the D's are a good team. Like people are actually noticing that Melbourne are quite good now. And there's there's one um, great thing on that Carlton game that fortunately doesn't get shown on Hotter Than Hell because you can't encourage that kind of thing. But at quarter time, this pissed bloke jumped the fence and staggered over to the Carlton huddle to give them a piece of his piece of his mind, and. <laughs> The security was so lax that this was from the southern stand, so you can where they you know where they were standing, probably fifty meters away from the fence. He almost got to them before security. They didn't even have to crash tackle him. I think they just sort of had to wrap him up and say, you know, come on, mate, piss off. Um, and he was just gently escorted. And I can't remember what happened to him then. Whether he was just let back in the crowd or hauled off to the cells to sleep it off. But yeah, he was absolutely blind um, by quarter time. Um, but mind you, in the same era, you could pretty much get naked and get to the centre wicket in a one day. Or so, who said who said you can't <laughs> st- stagger to the huddle of a, a Carlton Melbourne game? Yeah, and then you beat Port at Footy Park, so you get your, you get another interstate win. Um, you play Sydney on a Monday night at the SCG. I'd, there's there's heaps of Jeff Farmer highlights, but it was actually the I MCG. do like the no, yeah, the, the round twenty one clashes at the MCG. MCG? I should say, yeah. Yep, uh, that's a Monday night game. Uh, Plugger kicks his 100th goal for season 90, 98 after the D sealed the game. Yep. And uh, a bit of editorial the there. I hate that I didn't run on the ground because I never got the opportunity to run on the ground for anything else. Um, I wasn't there. I was I was having teenage miseries the, the night we played Hawthorne in the merger game, so I didn't get to run on the ground there. Um, I'm just, you know, to this day, I'm upset with myself that I didn't get to just leg it on the ground during this game. Um, but of course, we just needed to win this to make the finals. So that's why, between that and the chance to get your head on television when Lockett kicked his hundredth goal, that's probably what encouraged fifty-two thousand people to go to a Melbourne Sydney game, which seems ridiculous on a Monday night. Uh, and we did yeah. we did reasonably well. We beat them. Um, there's there's a screenshot in my post where at some point Sydney kicked a goal and someone behind the goals just holds up a sign that says "Used Cars." Um, which I suspect they've probably just thieved from a car dealership on their way to the MCG uh, and decided to hoist it in the crowd just for novelty value, which which I really um, think was one of the better moments of the season. And I do like the editorial comment from uh, Stephen Phillips about Plugger's 100th goal as well. 
that it was just a dubious free that, you know, he just fluked it. It wasn't like some amazing goal. It's like, you know, whatever. There was a brief seven-minute interruption while Lockett goaled from a dubious free and was engulfed by fans. Yeah, well, you've got to give something to the, uh, you've got to give something to the other side. Um, we've got to show a token interest in, uh, in what the other teams do. Um, I, I think that, uh, yeah, it, was, it, it didn't detract from our winning of the game that uh, everyone ran on and, and delayed the game by a few minutes. We still run reasonably reasonably um, handily and uh, that yeah that confirmed our spot in the finals which for me as somebody who'd had that couple of years of really losing interest in the game and and it was amazing now like the fact that we were going back to the finals and no matter what happened in the last round um, it didn't matter we could just afford to go out and have a have a day out and put our feet up and see what happened I think the double chance might have still been on the line going to the last game maybe maybe it wasn't uh, but either way, we yeah, knew 100. percent Yeah, we knew 100 percent we were going to play finals, and that was good enough for me at the time. Uh, and then the following week, to finish the home and away season, you play uh, my Tigers at the MCG Clash of Co-Tenants. The D's dominate that game. They abs- I remember going to this. The Demons thrashed Richmond, yeah. denied the Tigers a spot in 1998. They finished ninth. The Tigers, would you believe it? That's the third time in six seasons. Um, so that's 94, 96, 98, and then 2000, but we'll, we, whatever. Don't worry, we're, uh, we're, com- Melbourne... we're coming for you now. We've done it 17 and 20 now, so the <laughs> if, you, if you can get a Melbourne, ninth Melbourne or something, it just doesn't come off the tongue as much as... Uh, nah, it just doesn't work. It doesn't slurs, work. But I hope that we can turn it into also winning multiple premierships eventually. Yeah, the, the, the silver linings. Um, you, you you confirm that top four spot. I think the game is mostly remembered for the Jeff Farmer mark of the year. Yep. Towards Which, the goal line. Up goes Farmer! That is unbelievable. Is a sensational mark. But what I do like is I think Mick McGuan's on special comments and he makes sure he gets the sponsors plug in because at the time it's the Cadbury's mark of the year. Which must- mark. Oh, that would be Cadbury's mark of the year. That is just all jump be disappointing for Jeff Farmer because usually you'd win a car. Well, no, Jeff, so Jeff didn't win it. This is this is where the scandal he didn't win for it. this season. He was actually beaten by this Winston was not Abraham. In the video. He was beaten by Winston Abraham oh, at, at Monica Oval uh, against I don't know. Who That's right. Melbourne. Yeah, uh, so, which is why I think that I think Farmer should have won Mark of the Year and why Woden should have won Goal of the Year. Um, I don't know if they were a bit sus about giving the giving one to both the same guy, but um, or. It might have just been that Bruce McAvaney absolutely tore an O-ring when Winston Abraham took that mark. Uh, so it kind of it, it gave a bit more oomph to the uh, to the the call. But th- there it is. Well, I, there was only one, only one of them got put on a giant fold-out poster in the footy record, um, and that was Jeff Farmer's mark. I, think, I can't remember whether it was the next was later that week or the next year. But the best thing about that poster was, and I, and I hope the statute of limitations is finished for the people I'm talking about here. But a friend of mine had been, uh, let's just say, chucked by his girlfriend who had decided to leave him to go out with a person who was a photographer um, with the Herald Sun who actually happened to take that very iconic shot of Farmer taking the mark that ended up in the footy record. And he came around to my house and I had the poster up on the wall and he walked in and his eye just hit the guy's name that was the photographer who nicked his girlfriend and he pulled the poster down off my wall in anger. Oh dear! Uh, yes, so, so happy memories of that mark for more than one reason. <laughs> what a that is quite the anecdote. 
Okay, Melbourne are in the ninth. Okay, we've got to get to the best, what you would probably regard. Is it the best bit? I think so. Melbourne are in the 1998 finals. This must have been exciting for you. I'm going to let you roll with the story of Melbourne's 1998 final series. Yeah. But there's a couple of things I want to discuss with you. Um, obviously, throughout the video, there's insights from Todd Viney in his kitchen. And he's talking about playing finals and it's very exciting for the group and a great opportunity and all the rest of it. But there's also this story uh, in the lead up to your first final against the Crows where uh, featuring Carlton President John Elliott and, of course, Melbourne's own Diamond Demons Joe Gortnick. Chief Gortnick. Joe Gortnick was beaming today and not just because of Melbourne's win. Rival President John Elliott made good an earlier bet, pulling on a Melbourne jumper. Terrible. Embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> The wager also saw the Blues boss provide $1,000 to charity, in this case, the Royal Children's Hospital. Yeah, well, the, they'd had a bet at some point during the season where uh, Jack suggested that we wouldn't make the finals. I'm not sure if it was a Carlton finish higher than Melbourne, but that's not mentioned. Uh, so he's forced to wear a jumper and pay the princely sum of $1,000 tax deductible to the Royal Children's Hospital. Uh, and that's all good. We like that. Diamond Joe, well done for extracting $1,000 from from Jack Elliott, but what I don't understand is when they picture them having this summit meeting in a boardroom somewhere, why Gutnick is wearing a Tui's jumper. He's put Elliott in an LG jumper, but somehow, again, going back to what we were talking about, uh, branding and people making sure everything's absolutely airtight these days, he's just, they've obviously gone, we've only got one LG jumper, oh, just put a, just just grab that jumper out of the pile and put the Tui's jumper on and go on television wearing that. Okay, finals week one, the, the fourth place Melbourne plays the fifth place Adelaide Crows because, of course, we've got the Mark entire system and Melbourne absolutely demolish Adelaide yep. in the first final. And this is Farmer. And- Adelaide goes on to... Yeah, you've got Jeff Farmer just running rings around Andrew McLeod. You've got... Uh, I think it's also Tony Modra's last game for the Adelaide Crows. Yeah, well, he would come back. He would come back and kick 10 against us for Frio in 1999 at the MCG. So, yes, it certainly, certainly was. You finish higher than the Crows on the ladder. You beat them in the first week of the finals convincingly, yet they go on to win the premiership. Yeah, in this system. Does this not point out just what a terrible system the McIntyre Final 8 was? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't choose it as my final system of choice, but who knows what would have happened if we'd played who, uh, who was top of the ladder uh, that year. Was it North or Essendon? Yeah, I think it was North yeah, Melbourne. North, yeah. North, North Melbourne North had just caved our, caved our heads in about three weeks earlier by 10 goals. So you're right. What you say is absolutely correct, but I guess the same thing can happen now where you, you flog a team in the first double chance final and then they they come back via the prelim and they could uh you know even beat you in a grand final so you know if we were if we were good enough we would have won it which we certainly were not good enough uh, and also on the upside of adelaide this was around the time where i decided that if melbourne wasn't going to win the flag i didn't want any victorian team to win the flag so in a maneuver that ted Whitten would have had a nervous breakdown about i decided that i would go for any interstate team that played a victorian team in a grand final um, so no offence, North fans, but I was actually chuffed when Adelaide won the flag uh, in the end that year. So that helps that helps soften the blow somewhat. And at the final siren, some great uh, observations from Peter Landy, who's commentating at the time about uh, a bearded fellow in the members' stand. That's not Joe Goodnick, but it's Joe Goodnick look alike. And they'll be singing long and hard in the club rooms tonight. We say, oh, yeah, that, that, he says, that's not Joe Goodnick, had Sandy Roberts helpfully. Now, 
the lookalike is literally only the fact that it's a man who's got a beard. Like there is no other indication why he looks like Joe Goodnick. And he also has the largest pair of binoculars you'll ever see in your life around his neck, this bloke. Like you, you'll never see a larger pair of binoculars. Like if you were bird watching or if you were a sniper in the US Marines, you would not have binoculars that had this kind of range on them. Uh, and I think that's something else that we lack uh, these days. You lack the old bloke with the binoculars. Uh, no one seems to to care about uh, binoculars these days. They just they just look on the big screen um, to see what's going on. But yeah, he was uh, he was chuffed the old the old bloke. He also gets a run at the start of the video. Observant viewers will notice. So he's he's quite popular with Channel Seven. Uh, but yeah, this was the start of a really great couple of weeks um, for me as a footy fan. Like. I think the next three weeks, I, I chucked school year 11 on a Monday morning and went to the Arts Centre uh, and bought my finals tickets every morning. Um, and, yeah, it was just a great run. And even, yeah, it, it doesn't end in doesn't end particularly well, but the memories of the two games before it. And this game, you know, it just came out of the blue. You can, you can argue the merits of the McLeod versus Farmer um, matchup. But then you also had David Neitz um, kicking goals who... Until this point, hadn't been a massive goal kicker. Obviously, he'd spent a lot of time playing in defence, but even when he played forward this year on either side of his injury, he'd played uh, second, third fiddle to, to Schwartz and Farmer. Uh, this is where he really started to, to take off. Um, and between them, we just, we just ripped the Crows to shreds, and it was fantastic. And, yeah, set up, set up the next week um, against St Kilda. Has one of the great Melbourne... Um, shots of Andrew Leoncelli, who I think this was the season earlier in the year where the newspaper actually called him Leoncelli um, in the Herald Sun. I think it might have been after the North Melbourne game that was he was referred to as that. Uh, jumping into to David Schwartz's arms as the Ox waves his arm triumphantly in the air, the free arm that he's not carrying Leoncelli with, while uh, Darren Cowell tries to get into it from ground level. Um, so that's, yeah, that's a great... Great shot that um, I think it was on the front page of the Herald Sun or the front page of the Herald Sun sports section the next day. Uh, and, of course, what these games, we still actually had the chance of jumping straight to the prelim uh, if Sydney and the Bulldogs both lost. Again, going back to the, the system where nothing was set in stone and it all depended on the, the higher finishes. Um, and, yeah, the, the Swans, the Swans uh, unfortunately got through. And, yeah, that um, that left us having to having to play St Kilda the next week. You play the Saints the following week. One thing I do enjoy about pretty much all the season highlight videos are the old news stories they chuck in in the lead up to it. And there's a great one leading up to that. Uh, St Kilda final, yeah. um, which features, I think it's Gary Lyon at the Hilton Hotel launching the AFL cookbook under an injury cloud into Todd Viney riding a V8 Holden at Sandown and then into Stephen Ziller, um, how Stephen Ziller's going to, Keep Jeff Farmer at bay. Yeah, and you, you got to get into this gigantic hat that Gary Lyons, chef's hat that Gary Lyons wearing uh, at the Melbourne Hilton on the park as this cookbook's launched. Um, but of course, you say he's under an injury cloud. He actually didn't play uh, in this game. So after a year where his his physical issues had been kept at bay successfully, uh, unfortunately, he missed this game with injury. So there was also a lot of not knowing if he was going to go on the next year. 
Um, there was a lot of um, do it for Gary sentiment during that week of, of trying to win this game. He's a demon who's waiting on an injury. Melbourne has named veteran Gary Lyon at full forward for its clash with St Kilda, but a calf injury could yet keep him out. I had treatment this morning, I have another one today, and uh, we'll get out there tomorrow. I have it fully tested, I did a little bit last night, but um, tomorrow will be the, you know, the D-Day, I guess. No doubt you've watched the St Kilda semi-final uh, on replay many a time. I think one of the things I do remember from the video and this game, which I actually recall going to, um, is Melbourne were highly inaccurate in that first quarter and Jeff Farmer put on another clinic. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the other things that, that's really memorable that game was Barry Hall going crazy, um, doing, a, doing a knee drop um, on one of the Phoebe brothers. And I happened to thank you, Ticketek or Ticketmaster or Bass or whoever was involved at the time, happened to seat me literally next to the St Kilda cheer squad. So I was behind the goals at the city end with an aisle between me and the St Kilda cheer squad. And suffice to say, they did not believe that Barry Hall was at fault for the incident where he dropped a knee into Matthew Phoebe. uh, And they were quite vocal in their their views on that. Now, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, because I've only heard your your Biff's Bumps and Brawlers edition. I haven't actually watched the video for many a year. Does that actually feature in that video? Is that one of Barry's indiscretions? I know he gets his own segment. Uh, I think that is featured, yes. Because I think when when I I I listened to it at the time, I remembered here, and I just got a flashback to the commentary of, like, that was was when he dropped the knee on, I think it was Matthew, Phoebe. Yeah, I I think it's at the stage of where Barry isn't as... Barry has a reputation for going the biff, but the commentators aren't objecting to it because a a bit later on in those Barry Hall highlights, the commentators are going, oh, don't do it, Barry. Barry, what are you doing? There, There wasn't any of that. Yeah, whereas this time he just sort of, yeah, he's, he just gets a bit frustrated at being, I don't know, I can't remember if it was beaten to a mark or whatever, and just, just drops the knee. So it's not really, you know, it, it wasn't the most malicious thing you'll ever see in your life, but it wouldn't have been pleasant having a, a bloke of that size um, drop down on you with a with a leading knee. Uh, so, yeah, look, as you said, we were, we were very inaccurate that day. Uh, I think we were, during the second quarter, we were still on one goal, eight, um, and it was just a look like we were gonna look like we were gonna blow blow this golden opportunity. And to me, sitting next to this St Kilda cheer squad, who were um, you know cheer squads is as cheer squads does, um, I really started to get a hatred of St Kilda that day. And I apologise to St Kilda, but for a few years after this, I think this day really set me off that I really, really did not like St Kilda as a club just based on having sat next to their cheer squad this day. So even for me, not only the footy, but I also had personal vendettas why I wanted us to win. Uh, unfortunately, we just ran right at the end of this game. Bang, smacked two, six goals in the last quarter, won by 51 points. And, you know, a year after winning a spoon, uh, we were off to the, the prelim. So that, was, that set up the third week in a row where whatever class I had on a Monday morning, that got the boot. That, who needs an education? I'm off to the Arts Centre to buy tickets. Now, why I had to go to the Arts Centre when I lived in Glen Iris at the time, I'm not entirely sure, but that's the the magic and the mystery of booking tickets back in the old days. You play North Melbourne uh, in the preliminary final, the top of the table, North Melbourne, and uh, and Stephen Phillips, uh, who's one of the major stars of Australian football video and he's featured throughout many a video we profile on this series, uh, quotes another friend of the program, Ashley Brown, um, in the lead-up to the match uh, that he wrote in The Age of that week. I think it's something along the lines of, this could be the greatest fairy tale in modern football, but at Arden Street, they don't have much time for Mother Goose. 
or wizards for that matter. As Ashley Brown wrote in the Melbourne Age, this could have been the greatest fairy tale in football, but at Arden Street, they don't have much time for Mother Goose, or for wizards for that matter. There's more of that. should be more of that stuff. It's magnificent. Um, I, don't, I don't think it would have approached the uh, 87 Melbourne as far as fairy tales went, but it still would have been up there. Uh, I remember yeah, there was a lot of people coming out of the woodwork that week, uh, Melbourne fans, in the papers and stuff like There was a lot of like, oh, I haven't watched in a few years and I'm getting into this and I'm like, here we go. Everyone just get back on board. Get back on board now. Uh, one of the things to remember in this game as well is Jeff Farmer taking another absolute screamer at the start of the game. Uh, almost, I, I can't remember if it was the first couple of minutes, but it was certainly in the first quarter. Uh, you, you could argue that if marks of the year could be taken in the finals and why they can't, I don't know. Uh, that, that's actually, even that mark was better than Winston Abraham's. Uh, but unfortunately in this case, unlike the Richmond game where he slotted the, slotted the set shot, uh, he missed this one from a probably an even easier range um, and, and it set off a pretty ordinary night for our forward line. Uh, we kicked 12 goals from 12 different goal kickers, uh, which is strange. You had both the Phoebes kicked a goal, Darren Cowell kicked a goal, fighting Marcus Seacamp kicked a goal, but we just couldn't find... We just couldn't find the, the avenue to goal that would give us enough to beat North. And look, we did reasonably well um, to get to probably, we got to three quarter time within you know, three or four goals um, we, within miracle range of storming home and, and grabbing that spot in the grand final. Uh, but they just had too much class, unfortunately. Uh, it was obviously a really good North team. Uh, you know, they'd gone to win win the flag the next year. So they were right, right in their, in their um, you know, top years so it wasn't a great surprise that we lost and we gave a really good account of ourselves unlike 94 prelim where we got thrashed unlike the 2018 prelim when we got thrashed if you're going to lose a prelim at least this time they gave us a little bit of a hint that it, we might win before going to pieces and there was also the, I noticed in the commentary there was also a suggestion at one point that north had 19 players on the ground for three seconds so if retrospectively we can get a head count up um, we might be able to get a share of the 1999 grand final. We might be able to replace North as the losing grand final. 98, replace, replace North as the losing 1998 grand finalists in the history book. <laughs> the season wraps up. I think the video finishes with uh, Jim Steins announcing his retirement, which was a big deal, sensational career. Uh, and uh, another poxy version of Grand Old Flag to some ISO cam highlights of Melbourne's season, a bit of slow-mo kind of action. And then some philosophy from Gary Lyon comparing himself to Dermot Brereton. I do a couple of footy shows with uh, the great Dermot Brereton and uh, each week you get introduced to the, the audience and the people around the place and it's always Dermot Brereton, five times premiership player. And Gary Lyon, you know, former Melbourne captain or best and fairest player, whatever it is. I know which one I prefer. Yeah, and I also noticed that in the Jim Stein's retirement announcement, it seems to be the same function that Gary Lyon was giving that pre-season commentary about getting the drinks card at the tunnel, which is what makes me wonder whether they just, you know, took creative license and moved that to the very front of the video to make sure that it fit in with, uh, you know, the whole thing about his career coming to an end and, and all that. So the, um, he, he did play in this prelim, of course, Gary Lyon, and that, again, is another great Herald Sun sport front page that came out of that St Kilda game where he was in the suit and he was hugging Jeff Farmer and it said Friday on their minds because we played North on the Friday night. 
Um, and I had that, I have that and the Adelaide one up on my wall for probably, you know, for the next several years before I moved out of home. Um, and I really, I would love to get just that, that front page of that Herald Sun, the Friday on their minds one again, because it's such a good picture um, of, of Farmer with Lion. Um, and so, yeah, look, we got him back in the side for that game, but yeah, we just, we just didn't have the, didn't have the cattle to go with North. Um, at that point and really that was effectively the end of Lyon's career he pushed on to the next year um, Jim Steins didn't Jim Steins retired Lyon pushed on into 99 probably ill-advisedly only played a couple of games I think one of them was the night Tony Modric kicked 10 against us for Fremantle that was possibly his last game um, and yeah this so this was really was the uh, the last of Gary Lyons they did remarkably well back in those days to shepherd him through the season uh, and get him to play as much as he did that year. And I think that was really a massive factor uh, in in our success. And you sort of almost, you, you don't, there's no offense to Todd Viney, because we love Todd Viney, but you almost would rather have heard the the grabs coming from Gary Lyon, because it would have been a in, more interesting story with what was going on with his body as well. Uh, but I'm assuming he, he probably asked for, you know, drink cards at the tunnel or something as payment, and they weren't uh, they weren't prepared to do that. So that's why we got Todd as Todd as the captain instead of Gary. This is the Australian Football Video Film Festival. Adam from Damon Blog has been my guest, and we've been reviewing Melbourne Hotter Than Hell 1998 season highlights video, an all time classic. Adam, this edition of the show is probably going to go end up going as long as hotter than hell 1998 the two hour and a two and a half hour feature length film that well, it one is thing you um, also note is that a... they don't have credits after all this there are no. no credits so what a fine time to start trying to shave time off the running length of the video than two and a half hours in <sighs> Adam, we got to wrap up here at the uh, AFV Film Festival for this special edition. But uh, overall, how would you sum up Hotter Than Hell 1998? Uh, just love. The summer of love, the winter of love, the year of love. It just is a reminder of a great time uh, in the life of the Melbourne Football Club and personally for me, a great time in really the year that my, my fandom really went through the roof. So it's all great memories. And I think right now I have to go and watch that round two game against North Melbourne in its entirety. That was a lot of fun to do the chat with uh, there. This is the Australian Football Video Film Festival. My name is Dylan Leach. Thanks for listening. I think this podcast has gone on for as long as Hotter Than Hell, that two-and-a-half-hour epic highlights video as we've covered in the chat there. If you want to actually watch Hotter Than Hell and read Adam's blog about it, I will put both the links in the podcast description for you to check out there. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, again, thanks to our major sponsors, leaguetees.com.au. Thank you to everyone who's been spreading the word. Uh, who else should I thank? Oh, Nick Bleeker. He uh, lets us use the studio to record uh, this show here in Brisbane, and that is much appreciated. Now, more episodes are on the cards here at the AFV Film Festival. They may come out in a fortnight. They may be coming up right next. 
uh, right next on your feed because, you know, you may not be listening to this uh, at time of launch. You could be listening to this in six months' time. So that doesn't matter. But if you are listening to this uh, within the time frame, uh, a new one is coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's just that uh, it's a one-man operation and they do take some time to edit uh, overall and uh, you know we, we want it to sound good but uh, we do appreciate everyone's feedback all the support and please tell your friends tell tell people you don't even like but they might like footy and they might like listening to this about this show um, we, we have a lot of fun making it uh, of course you can catch us on the socials at AFV Film Festival on the Twitter and of course Facebook uh, at Australian Football Video Film Festival we're very easy to find and yeah Spread the word. Baby, leave us a review. Leave us a review. That would be nice. Leave us a good one. I don't really care for the bad ones, but a good one would be nice. Uh, this is the Australian Football Video Film Festival with thanks to leaguetees.com.au. My name is Dylan Leach, and we will catch you soon.